Thank you for tuning in to the 110th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl Dominique Lane, as always, whether you're listening via SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Apple, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Google Music. I want to thank you for making me and the show part of your day, being recorded in Murphy, University Heights, Ohio, John Carroll University. I mention that because the next time you hear this voice, this beautiful voice, I will be in the 716 Buffalo, New York, specifically Amherst. Can't give the address away because my mom would kind of kill me. But I'll be happy. I'll be back home. I'm going to have a lot of interviews there. Going to have a nice show. Going to have a couple nice shows. Uh, couple people I have in mind that I'm going to have in. I'm not going to mention those yet. going to have a couple first-time guests, hopefully. And hopefully we get some people in the shop, in the studio, in the barbershop chair that I have in my room uh, during next week. And also, I'm going to give a couple shout-outs. Shout-out to Connell Krabic, who's going to give me a ride back home. always have to give Connell a shout-out. He's my little buddy. My, my, my tall little buddy. But he's my little buddy nonetheless, so I want to give a shout-out to Connell. And also, and also, I want to mention this too, right? I'm going to have Ben Karen host the Sports Squabbler Podcast. Going to talk a lot of college football with Ben. And I'm also going to have Jason Gavari. Haven't had Jason on in a very long time, actually. I know I see Jason. And we haven't been able to get a time, but we have Jason on, and we talk a lot of basketball, a lot of football. Luka Doncic is his favorite player. Is LeBron the best player in the NBA? LeBron versus Kawhi. The Miles Garrett situation versus Mason Rudolph. All that with Jason, including Lamar Jackson. Is he for real? And is Tom Brady still Tom Brady? So a lot of juicy information to talk about with Jason. But here's what I say, right? So, and I'm just going to go here, and then we're going to get right into the interview. It's going to be really quickly. A lot of foolish stuff happens on a college campus. A lot of silly, idiotic, stupid stuff. I saw somebody take a sign. <laughs> they took a sign. And I was like, what the hell is going on? I see somebody trying to take a giant mistletoe. I see that people are throwing fruit in the halls. And I'm like, this is crazy. This is crazy. Why do people do it? Why will people do such foolishness? But then you want to know what I realized? I can be just as silly as the next one. Because I'll do crazy stuff too. So my message, you you know, my advice, don't judge people because you can end up doing silly stuff too. I walked outside of the calf today for calf's giving with turkeys in my hand. And I took them back to my dorm room and I ate them. And with that, Come next after the break on Barbershop Sports. We're going to have Jason Cavari on for a little NFL and NBA. Come up next after the break. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports. And we have the Youngstown Beast, a.k.a. Jason Cavari. How are you doing, Jason? We haven't seen you in a long time. Pretty great, my man. Thanks for having me back. Now, you're actually not. You're actually here right now because of... Uh, Rec League, uh, not Rec League, bad. you play Rec League basketball, but the Frisbee team up into you. Tell us how that happened, Jason. Yeah, so they can't practice outside because of the snow and the, uh, the water and something uh, bothers them, so they have to come inside to throw their Frisbees around in the big gym, and we can't play ball because of them. It's pretty unfortunate. <laughs> so, like, varsity sports get played first, right? In the big gym, yeah. yeah the Rec Gym's a separate thing. They reserve the gym for Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, blocks from like 10 to midnight. Can't run basketball reserve the gym? Nope. Nope. We get the last. Last call of anything, which is sad because they're basketball courts. But, you know, let's just ignore that that's a fact. Yeah, apparently it's a, a frisbee field now in there. So, I don't know, man. I don't make the rules. Now, Lamar versus Baker. 
Now you admit, you told me in the beginning of the year you said Baker was the best the best quarterback in the class. Lamar's looking like he's gonna win MVP. Are you ready to say Lamar's better? At the current moment, it looks like it, yes, but we gotta realize that that's an offense that's tailored perfectly to fit around Lamar by a great, great coach in Harbaugh. Compared to the dumpster fire type situation in Cleveland, nobody knows what's going on. The coaching is terrible. I think I've finally come to that conclusion. I told you, Freddie Kitchen. Yeah, I mean, about 10 weeks. At this point, definitively the only thing we can really say that's the biggest issue at the heart of this all is Kitchens and the fact that he has absolutely no idea what's going on. So I think in a way it's not fair to judge until we get Baker in a situation with a competent coach who can showcase his strengths and hide his weaknesses too. But I could have this argument. Hmm. When was the last time the Browns had a competent coach? I would say the last time they had a competent coach, I think Chudzinski was a good coach. Rob Chudzinski. He I'm ended up being this. an offensive coordinator for the Colts. This was like 2013, 2014. I really liked him as a coach, and I thought Pettin was a good head coach too afterwards, but neither of them ended up in any head coaching gig since then. Do you think the Browns can get a competent head coach? I think they can. I'm not sure who it would be at this point, who would come what would be available if they go find someone from college or someone who's not currently in a head coaching position right now. But I would like to see a change at the end of the year. Now, the stuff Lamar is doing right now, is that sustainable? I think it is sustainable, honestly. Because he's proved like over the course of this season that he's able to beat defenses throwing or running. You know, Maybe it's not putting up the traditional type of numbers that we're used to from a quarterback, but at the end of the day, he's winning games. And that's all it comes down to, right? He blow, they blow out the Texans right after they just they shred, they, they shred the Patriots. Would you be okay if somebody said Lamar Jackson is the best quarterback in the league right now? I would not be okay with people saying that. He's not the best quarterback in the league. He's a good quarterback in a great system for him. If somebody said he's a top five quarterback. No, he's not a top five quarterback. We, we, need, to, we need to get over this notion that he's a top five talent quarterback. In the NFL, he's not. Maybe top 10, he's there, but you got to look at the system he's in. It is perfectly tailored to highlight his strengths and hide his weaknesses. And that's what people are uh, not really appreciating with the situation here. Harbaugh and his staff have done an excellent job. They, they really have done an excellent mm. job. I, I never thought what he's doing was possible, actually. But it was something that was very entertaining, and you, I heard you laughing about this on Thursday night. So we have Miles Garrett... Mason Rudolph, oh, God. <laughs> Marquise Pouncey, and uh, who else? Who else was in the melee? Ogan Joby. Yeah, yeah, and Joby. Give me your thoughts on that. You know, Miles Garrett swinging helmets, Mason Rudolph trying to fight men that will absolutely shred him. I don't know what Mason Rudolph was doing running towards Miles Garrett. But what are your takes, Jason? <sighs> Man, all right, this has been hotly discussed many, many times, and I think... My, uh, my ultimate opinion comes down to what happened when I looked at the tape in slow motion. So Rudolph should not go without blame in this. Obviously what Garrett did was inexcusable, heinous act, absolutely ridiculous. Like why would you swing at someone with the helmet? That could kill them. Rudolph is lucky he's not dead. Like if the helmet hit at a different angle. So again, not excusing Garrett at all. But I just want to add on to the whole debate here that we shouldn't hold Rudolph blameless. He kicked Garrett in the groin area, tried to rip his face mask off. After Garrett made a football move, driving him to the ground, Rudolph turned it into a non-football move, trying to rip his face mask off. Garrett responded. It escalated from there. But Rudolph also had another chance not to escalate more. Remember when he was down, he had his helmet off, and then he charged Garrett. So you got to think, what's Rudolph thinking in that moment? You're going to charge a bunch of guys with helmets, not having a helmet, put yourself in more danger, escalate the situation more. Again, I'm not defending what Garrett did, but I'm just saying we can't hold Rudolph blameless. Now, now when you say Miles uh, Garrett started, I kind of disagree. Because to me, well, while he did make a football when he sacked him, to me, there's eight seconds left in the game. The Browns have already clenched it. Like, you don't need to take him down like that. But like, to me, that, that's kind of just unnecessary, which I think is kind of why... Rudolph kind of took a, took exception to that mm. and how that started. And I think also part of that is Freddie Kitchens. Why do you even have Miles Garrett in the game with eight seconds left anyway? But then again, Freddie Kitchens in general. Right. I mean, that's what I'm Like, why is he in the game to begin with? I mean, there's eight seconds left. Like, like well, why is he in the game? 
That I couldn't answer. I mean, hey, we already established that he's not a competent coach. So, Was that fight the most interesting part of the Brown season? That? It's been an interesting season overall. I mean, when you look at the expectations they had set, it's just, I think it's a microcosm of the season all in this game here. So if we could take this season, compress it all into one, one, one game, essentially, this all happened here in this Cleveland-Pittsburgh game. Now, I kind of want to shift a little bit. Mm. Uh, talk about Patriots, right? Their offense has been pretty abominable this whole year. While wow, their defense has been historically great, and Brady, just against the Eagles, um, on Sunday was complaining, you know, you know, we won, but we didn't play well, you know, we played like trash, he's pissed at the press conference. Is Tom Brady getting old now? Is he no longer Tom Brady? Because this has been a long sample size. We just talked about Lamar Jackson. We've seen Lamar play fantastic for 10 straight games. We've seen Brady in this offense play poorly. Is Tom Brady no longer Tom Brady? I don't think. I mean, he's Tom Brady still in, in the fact that he'll look, he'll dissect the defense quickly, he'll play the system perfectly. He knows what to do, and most of the time he makes the right decision. But the question here is, are his physical tools starting to fail him? And to look at this in a, uh, a broader sense, as far as a broader sample size, let's look back to last season. Remember the Super Bowl? Did Brady look like Brady then? No. You remember the end of the regular season, the playoffs last year? Did Brady look like Brady? No. Physically, he's starting to go. Do you think that... Can the Patriots win like this? Because you're relying on this defense. I mean, like we have to hold them 10 points a game to win. Like, that's a hard life to live. Especially if they're going to play the Ravens again. They're going to play the Chiefs. That is a hard life to live. Can the Patriots do that? What they need to do, they need to shift more of the focus on offense off of Brady. They need to establish the run more. Because this is what you have to do when you have an aging quarterback who's kind of ailing physically. You know, we saw it with the Broncos, with Peyton Manning. The situation here, and even what the Chargers should do with... um with Phillip Rivers, by the way, but back to the Patriots, what they should do again, they should establish the run, give Brady easy, quick reads, and just tell him, don't make mistakes. We'll grind out the clock on offense, give the defense time to rest, you know, if we establish it through the run, and then the defense being as great as it has been, we'll keep them in games, sometimes even win games. I think they're still the number one scoring defense in the NFL, so that's the formula. Grind out the clock on offense, play ridiculously high-level defense, and this can take you to the Super Bowl and even win it again. Do you, uh, and well, here's also what I want to say. Like we just said, and you just said, Lamar's barely top 10, right? If he is top 10. Mm. Is Brady a top 10 quarterback? Brady at this point, I think still, still. I would have to say top 10, yeah. Who would you rather have right now, Tom Brady or Lamar Jackson? In whose system? And both of their current systems. And both of their current systems, who would I rather have? I would actually have uh, Lamar, honestly, in his current system. That's damn. That's a damning statement. That's a da- that's a damning statement. Can Brady play past this year and still be a productive quarterback? He can, but we're still going to see more of that physical decline. You know, it, it's going to get worse and worse every year. I, I think obviously this goes to the end of last year and it's branched into this year. There hasn't been a change. And he's still a, a good quarterback. He's above average. He's not great anymore. I think that's that's the difference that we're starting to see creep in. Like, he'll make mistakes that he didn't used to. Um, his throws don't have the velocity that they used to. It seems like he's like a step behind. Like, he'll make the reads, but sometimes he'll just miss the throws. So I think his mind is there, but his body's not. And that's the issue. And as he keeps going, if he plays another couple of years, it's just going to slowly deteriorate more and more. Does this give credence to the fact that Bill Belichick tried to get rid of Tom Brady? Before? Absolutely. Oh, that's been my see, argument all along. And, and now you see Jimmy Garoppolo, who's on the one of the best teams in the NFL, and Joey and Jacoby Brissett is playing pretty well for the Colts mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, I've argued this for years, man. Ever since that year where the Eagles Patriots made it to the Super Bowl, I think uh, Belichick was looking at getting rid of Brady after that Super Bowl there, if not before that season. I'll keep arguing that um, in the years to come. I mean, we'll see how this all plays out with him, Kraft, Brady, with what goes on with that situation. But I'll always stand by the fact that I, I really do think Belichick was trying to get rid of Brady and rebuild around Garoppolo. You think Belichick is still trying to get rid of Brady? At this point, I think he's locked in with them. You know, they're they're tied in with each other, and he hasn't really drafted anyone that's going to be a, a clear successor to him yet. You know, maybe it happens in this draft. I'm not sure. 
But I think if we look back at the the succession plan he had with Garoppolo and how he looked with the Patriots, what Belichick said about him, all the clues that we had that Garoppolo was going to inherit the Patriots dynasty, take him into the 2020s and beyond, that's gone. Kraft messed that up. Brady messed that up for Brady's own gain so he could keep playing. They messed up Belichick's master plan. And I think Belichick's still mad about that. Now, is it possible to because... They had Tom Brady has no weapons still. That's also why I'm mm. really they only have Edelman. I mean, they kill Harry, their first round pick. He was hurt. Uh, Gronkowski's retired. Antonio Brown um, had a mental uh, <laughs> yeah, out of body experience oh, here for a couple games. It was gone, right? Uh, like you know, they don't really have anybody. It's really Julian Edelman and Tom Brady. Seven yard slam. Mm. Let's, let's keep doing it and see if they can stop it. Don't have Amendola anymore. So. Is it hard to can we blame Brady? Can you blame Tom Brady for not playing? Well, how many times have we looked at Brady without the weapons and been like, wow, look what he does to these no-name receivers like Chris Hogan. You know, who was Chris Hogan? Made him a good receiver He's for a while. There's, it's, yeah, well. Yeah, <laughs> nobody. Okay, that's exactly where the Hogan was. point. But... I mean that that's what uh, that that's been a legitimate point that people have made that Brady will take people that are like not necessarily known and turn them into players that look great. Like Brady will bring the best out of what he has. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that he doesn't have what he once did, obviously, but they just got Sanu. They have Edelman. They lost Gordon. It's not a terrible receiving core in any sense. And again, like what do we expect from Brady versus what are we getting? You know, maybe we need to readjust the expectations. Is it possible when you say that Belichick is still mad, right? People have had conspiracy theories. He got rid of Garoppolo and Brissett because he was like, you know, F you, Kraft. If you're going to mess with my team, you know, you have no succession plan now, right? He's like, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Is it possible he's like, hey, Tom's still Tom. Hey, I'm worried about the defense, special teams. Tom, you do your thing. Hey, you meet all your receivers, Tom. It's okay, Gronk's gone. Be Tom, right? Is it possible you think Belichick might be doing that? That could be And that could be why Brady's a little irritated right now? I wouldn't put it past him. I have no idea what's going on there. I feel like I kind of have one theory as to what happened with this whole Garoppolo situation. It could be wrong, could be right. I'm not 100% sure. What's your theory? It wouldn't be ridiculous to think that this is all part of Belichick getting back at Kraft and Brady. Being like, yeah, you messed with it. This is what you have to deal with now. And as Brady deteriorates and Belichick does nothing about it and eventually leaves the franchise in shambles, then we'll see if my theory is... uh, is correct there. Now, now, Jason, you're a business major. How can you run a successful business and do that? Like, how can Kraft, when you have two of your top employees doing that, like the ones like, hey, screw you, like... Well, the business and, isn't... And a, they're so successful still, despite that fact. Like, that, that seems toxic. They're going to keep winning. I mean, that's the thing for, for the current time, I would say. But we also got to keep in mind the business is no, no concern of Belichick's, you know? He doesn't have to worry about what money they're bringing in, what they're paying. I mean, yeah, he's the GM, uh, de facto GM, but the business is on Kraft's end. Kraft has to worry about the fact that he teamed up with Brady, stepped in and messed with Belichick's plan. He's got to worry about what happens like four or five, six years down the road from now. Now, and everybody's talking about how bad Tom Brady is. I would like people to look at Phillip Rivers on Monday Night Football. <laughs> it's time to cut the cord on Phillip Rivers, right? I think so. I mean, let him play out the season, but he's just looked terrible. He's on the honestly. Eli path, the Eli path. I, I, it's so sad to say, but you know, we're done. Philip Rivers isn't going to do anything. It's sad. He's I, if they somehow you know pull some miracle, make it to the playoffs next year, so which, which it's not going to happen. Obviously, this year it's not going to happen. They're out of contention. I'd say it, it's just it's done. Philip Rivers isn't going to do any more. What we've seen is what we've gotten. I think we're in the twilight of his career. You see his arm is starting to go. He didn't have the strongest arm to begin with. His decision-making was great. He would always make these ridiculous mistakes, though, I would remember. But it just seems like the mistakes are piling up now. His, uh, his body's not where it used to be. And if you look at him when he plays, too, you can see he just looks defeated. Like He looks beaten down year after year after year of this. And unfortunately, I think he's on his way out. Yeah, and you think the sad part of this, too, is because when you play really bad, people forget how good he used to be. Mm. And people don't remember, Philip Rivers was better than Eli Manning. But, much better, actually. Mm. But Eli Manning's, whether you agree with it or not, he will go into the Hall of Fame. Philip Rivers probably won't. 
And, and I think when he, when he oh. plays so oh. badly at the end, I think it just it makes me feel sad. And do you think they'll hurt for good luck? I think he'll make I, it. I do not think he's going to Not first ballot, but I think he'll make it. You know, he's no Dan Marino, but it's a similar situation there. An elite quarterback, like like Rivers at his best, was one of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL. There's no doubt. This man was elite. And he you put his a, best was top 15. <laughs> better the top half than the bottom half. Yes. But, um, well, some of you top 25. Yeah. But the issue with uh, with Rivers was when he was at his best. If we look at those teams from like maybe like twenty no, like twenty ten, I think to like twenty sixteen, in that span there, those were pretty bad teams. It's Rivers with just a collection of garbage around him that couldn't really do anything. But there were years when he had Ladainian time. Hmm. And Tony. Well, that was the coaching was the issue there. Yeah, North Turner. With those, yeah. So let's let's not even go there. But I think it's unfortunate to look at a quarterback who was so great who had it all, who had the elite ability, who had the leadership, and it just never ended up coming together. And, and it also makes you see, again, that football's a team sport, and it takes so many pieces coming together to create a success for even one season. And I think it's really unfortunate that Phillip Rivers got screwed out of it. Now, we're recording this now as the Blazers game is going on. Carmelo Anthony's making his debut. He started uh, and Jason, last time we were talking, you said uh, he was five fourteen. Uh, Mello, why would in this fight? It's classic Mello. Mello's back five fourteen. Uh, low efficiency, long twos, clanking a bunch of stuff up the side, not playing defense. That's what Car- that is the Carmelo Anthony experience. How long is he gonna last in Portland? I think. I mean, they've had a lot of injuries to their wings. They signed him. It's a non-guaranteed contract, so that only lasts so long. They could cut bait whenever and not lose any money. Um, but as long as there's injuries and there's a space for him, I think he'll be good there. He's a seems to be right now a quick scoring punch off the bench. Yeah, he's going to take like 20 shots oh, probably. Oh, he started. Yes. Well, <laughs> and there he made you a go. Joke, like, I, mean, I didn't come here not to start. He was kind of joking. Uh, you know, he was like, I didn't come here not uh, to start. I don't know. Maybe half joking. <laughs> <laughs> but here's my thing. The more shots, 15 is a lot of shots. Mm. The more shots he takes, the less shots Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum take. That is a problem. Oh, yeah, and I, I think they, you know, when you sign him, you need to realize what you're getting. And I don't know if they understood um, this is what they were getting. Or maybe he just said, yeah, you know, I'll just stand around on the perimeter. They pass it out to me. I'll shoot. I'll drive when it's good. And then he's just playing like this. And yeah. I wouldn't say this, and I'm not trying to say, Mellos, I mean, you could argue he's selfish. I'm not saying that's his intention. Mm-hmm. But that is his game. It's his game is isolation scoring. That is the only thing I think he can do competent. Like, like right? Like, that, that's why he's on the floor. And that literally takes the ball out of your two best players' hands. Well, you want to do the scoring and playmaking. So I don't, I mean, he's not a slasher. He's not a spot-up shooter. He's literally just holds the ball, pound and pound, and shoots mid-range jumpers. Mm. Which is fine, but... Uh, to me, that doesn't work with what the Blazers are trying to do. Not at all. And it could be that, you know, first game jitters, you're back. I mean, I know situations like this myself, like when I'm playing with new people, I just revert to what I'm most used to, you know, to what's most comfortable for me. And maybe he wants to play as a spot-up shooter, as a slasher when the opportunities present themselves, just a scorer, and that's it. You know, n- n- not like an isolation score, like an off-ball score. Maybe he wants to do that. But these first few games, he's uncomfortable. He's getting back into it. Like, keep in mind, it's been a year since this man last played NBA ball. Maybe he just falls back to what's familiar to him until he becomes comfortable in this offense. Now, I'm going to finally tell you, Jason, you are right. Luka Doncic, he is the hmm. truth. Hmm. Uh, I was looking at this right now. So we got 29.5 <laughs> points per game. We got 10.7 assists. So let's round that up and give that 11, right? And we uh, no no 10.7 rebounds excuse me 11 mm. rebounds and 9.3 assists basically averaging a triple double in a second year in the league is Luka Doncic a top ten player in the NBA? Absolutely. Look at the numbers. <laughs> the numbers don't lie, man. He's averaging almost a triple double. If you watch him, he is an offense contained in a player. This man is ridiculous. And keep in mind, he's younger than we are. He's 19 years old and he's doing this. He's got elite court vision, like a guy who's played six, seven years in the league. Crazy shots, a full package of handles that he can use, all kinds of shots, trickery that he can pull off. Like I said, great passer, rebounder, not the best defender, I will say that, but offensively, it's like a, like a Harden 
in a way, honestly. He is that good. It's insane. And this is his second year. Can he be the best player in the NBA? Absolutely. Absolutely. I expect it. Okay. In now, the next year. And, and here's what I hear some people say. Some people say they think that he's peaked. Like, they think, which, you can go a lot of different ways with that, which, if this is, I mean, if this is the best it gets, I mean, that's pretty damn good. All-star every year. I, I mean, if this is the best he gets. But do you think, like, he has, there, there's more levels of this? Or do you think, this is probably where he's at? Because people talk about, you know, maybe he has a lack of athleticism. He's been playing European ball for so long. He's had a lot more development than all, than a bunch of other guys. So he was kind of already finished product, right? Like, he came in ready to go right away. Like, do you think this is him right now? This is Luka? Or do you think there's, like, an extra level, an extra gear? There's still more that's going to come. And I'll say, like, there's an extra level, obviously, when you get to the NBA, it's the best players in the world, easily. You know, there's no league that can compare. European ball is great. I mean, you'll still get some great players out of that, but the NBA is a large step above that. And he's already shown that he's superior to, you know, 90%, 95% of the league. I think as he keeps playing with this superior talent worldwide, though, he'll start to figure things out. Like, he'll get that veteran ability that we already talk about that he has, the vision, the scoring ability, all the tricks in the back. He'll start to develop more over the next couple of years, you know? He'll get better and better. I think there's a, more levels coming for him. We have not seen the best of Doncic yet. Is Kawhi Leonard injured from his missed three straight games, low demands, when people are talking about his knee, I think his head. Like, he has all this different stuff going on with him. And it happened with the Raptors. I mean, that's the reason why he left the Spurs. He was hurt. He's been getting hurt ever since Zaza, you know, did what Zaza <laughs> did in the Western Conference Finals, right? Is Kawhi there injured wrong? Like, is he? Is this... I have no idea what's going on. I don't know another player in the league that does this load management stuff as much as he does. Oh, he took it to LeBron's like, I'm doing Kawhi's like, watch this LeBron, watch what I can do. <laughs> I just wish they'd come out though and they'd say this is, you know, A, an actual injury, or B, he just wants to rest. What's going on here? Nobody's clear about if he's actually hurt or if this is just the, you know, the quote-unquote load management. But he seems like the only player who's doing this to that degree. You know, it seems like there's... Always some kind of injury that's causing him to need to take games off due to load management, whether he's taking off every back-to-back or he's taking off a few games in a row. I just want to know definitively, is he hurt? All right, then he'll get the games out. Or is he just doing his rest thing like he did last year? Which is smart because he played better in the playoffs. But just tell us what you're doing, please. So, and before this, I was saying... Kawhi's the best player in the NBA. I can no longer acquire that distinction because to I me, mean, you can't be the best player in the NBA and you can't, and you're only playing like 50. Games. Yeah. I, I can't, I can't do that. So I guess we're back to LeBron, right? Because I, I can't give it to the honest. LeBron's still the best player in the NBA. I think so. I think so. Washed, not yet. <laughs> Thirty-five, right? Thirty-five. Oh yeah. Gonna turn thirty-six in December. Mm-hmm. And he's still the best player in the NBA. And leading the league in assists. How spectacular. See, you know, you know the scenario where Cleveland still has LeBron, Kyrie, and... Oh, man, don't hit me like that. Just, no. <laughs> but you oh, deserve God. this, Jason. You deserve this. Deserve a dream? I deserve it to actually Listen, be true. Listen, Kawhi dropped 50 <laughs> the first game of the year. You know, you could have... There's a scenario in an alternate universe where you have LeBron, Kyrie, and K-Love. There's also a scenario <laughs> in an alternate universe where the Cavs trade up and... Snag Doncic. That was a rumor there. I don't know what they'd have to give. It would be worth it to have my favorite player here in Cleveland leading the next era of Cleveland basketball. Please, no hypotheticals, man. That's just a problem. <laughs> that would have uh, been great. You know how happy I'd be? Oh, my God. Was that Sa- he was in the Saxon draft, right? Saxon, Colin Sexton. Sexton, yeah, that was that draft. Oh. He went like eighth. But there was some rumor in talks, I don't know what we would have to give up. I assume love would be a part of it. And then, like, a couple, like, three firsts in the next few years. You know, obviously because of the stepping rule, it would be spread out, you know, every other year. But that would have been worth it. For a generational talent like that, future MVP, Luka Doncic. And I'm taking my bias out of this. He's my favorite player, but I'm trying to remain unbiased here. James Harden is averaging 39 points per game. He's almost averaging Oh my God! <laughs> this is the best score ever. And I know we talked about this before, and I know 
You and I know Landon doesn't. I know Landon doesn't like the way he plays. Landon told me the refs need to chill with that hard stuff. <laughs> but dude, is he the best scorer ever? All right. First though, I'm curious how many free throws is he getting a game? Ten to fifteen, I, 10 to 15 a game, and he makes you know a good. Percent, I mean, he like, makes them though. Ninety percent of them. I'm talking about a, a complete offensive game. He and he doesn't. I I'm all. I mean, yeah, because, like, you're still scoring to that point. Even if you take off, like, the 10, 15 points a game he gets from the, the free throws, he's still averaging, like, 25 a game, just pure scoring. Because, yeah, when you think about it, other guys might get that 25, 26, but they're still getting, like, 10 free throws a game. They're making most of those. He's a great scorer. I mean, a complete offensive game, I would say. Great passer, rebounds well, obviously, with all the triple-doubles he gets. Um you're not known for his defense, obviously. Let's be nice in that regard. But offensively, yeah, he's a complete player. He's one of the best I've ever seen. Is he a better scorer than Kevin Durant? No. No. Is Kevin he, Durant in the zone. Is he a better scorer than Kobe Bryant was? More efficient, for sure. If you're saying I'm going to give you know Harden X amount of shots, Kobe X amount of shots, and you got to pick between the two... In a limited amount of time, I think I take Harden. He's well, going to make more of those shots. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Efficiency. Harden or Michael Jordan? Well, Jordan. That's, I mean, come on. That's, actually, that, that is where I would draw the line. Yeah. I think Jordan averaged like the same amount of points one year when they didn't shoot threes. Mm-hmm. And he was With much three. harder defense. Yeah. yeah. The none of the rules were in place. You could hand check. You could pretty much like. Batter your, you know, batter the offensive player into the ground like some, you know, back alley type stuff. Now, Jason, my last question before I let you go. As a Browns fan, describe this season so far. Sum it up. Give us your emotions. It's honestly been a roller coaster. You know, it but just, you said you weren't expecting to make the playoffs. You told us that. I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting a more cohesive team, better <laughs> coached, maybe that that for sure. Um, I was trying to lower people's expectations at the beginning of the season, but I was still expecting like, yeah, maybe like nine and seven, eight and eight, which they still might go. But I didn't expect it to look this bad. <laughs> like a car with three wheels, just kind of you know lurching along. Every once in a while they look great, but then the next games they look terrible. They lose to teams they shouldn't lose to. They play close games, but they mess it up and. You know, the final moments of it or critical parts of the game, they screw up. And again, like we talked about, even though they have so many issues across the board, this all goes down to Freddie Kitchens. He is the main problem, I think. There's nothing else I can see at this point that has caused so many team-wide issues as the coaching. Come. Go to Alabama. Give a nice little $10 million check to Nick Saban and say, hey. You know, Alabama's not going to make the playoffs this year. I mean, yeah, with two is hip. You want to go to Cleveland? You were in Cleveland before. Uh huh. Right? Right? You can be the head coach. $10 million NFL team. All right, I want this blank check, Nick. Whatever you want. Whatever you want. Hey, hell, we'll give you a, we'll give you a share, share ownership of the team. Like, for 0.5%, Nick, you can get 5%. I honestly wouldn't be opposed to it at this point. Do you point. think he would actually do that? I don't think so. Every man has a price, Jason. Yeah. Huh. How much to get him out of Alabama? How much money is that going to take? I honestly Because think. he would have a set made team. He has his quarterback. He has a pass rusher, Miles Garrett. He has his running back, Nick Chubb. He has receivers, Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry. He knows them both because they were both in the SEC with LSU. Mm-hmm. I mean, why not? Why not? Ben Roethlisberger's aging. He's going to be out. The Bengals are a mess. You just have to worry about Lamar Jackson. Like, to me, it's settled perfectly for Nick. Why not? It's a dream situation, and if you get to pick your salary, which, you know, in a sense he would, he's one of the best college coaches of all time. If, if John Gruden gets $10 million, well, what's John Gruden? Didn't John Gruden get, like, a piece of ownership of the Raiders and, like, $10 million? Yeah, $100 million for 10 years. All right, if that bum can get that much money, then, you know. Hey, I Gruden would want to shoot. I mean, yeah. but, but, <laughs> with someone else's team. Like. That is true, but I, I mean, Nick Saban. Nick Saban can come in and do, I don't know. But that's what they need to do. Go to Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Go in that man's office. Just see. Just put out feelers. I'm trying to tell you. Mm. Do that. As long as Freddie Kitchens is gone after this year, I'll be a happy man. Jason, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Of course, man. Always a pleasure.
And cut him next at the break on Barbershop Sports. We're going to have Ben Karen on the show to talk everything college football. Cut him next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Back on Barbers on Sports Talk, and we have Ben Karen, host of the Sports Squabbler Podcast. You can check out his podcast on SoundCloud. How are you doing, Ben? I'm doing fabulous tonight, Daryl. Thank you for having me on. No problem, Ben. Now, college football. The rankings drop. LSU 1, Ohio State 2, Clemson 3, Georgia 4. You got any problems, concerns? Well, what's your opinion on it, Ben? As far as the top four go... I'm in agreement at this point in time. I think that it's a coin toss between Ohio State or LSU being number one. I understand why they gave that spot to LSU. We might be revisiting that conversation, though, before the end of the season. If if, uh, Ohio State beats Penn State, will Ohio State eclipse LSU? No. You do- I think that they're going to have to do that and then go on to you know, likely take down Minnesota in the Big Ten game and probably have to beat Michigan as well. Now, here's what I want to say. Last time you were on the show, we talked about Tua. And I told you, Ben, Tua, I think he's injury prone. I think he has a chance of getting hurt. I'm not comfortable what's going on with Tua. Then Tua hurts his hip. People are saying it's serious. He's out for the rest of the year. Would you draft Tua today? I would draft him in the right kind of situation. Now, if I'm a team like the Cincinnati Bengals, the Chicago Bears, teams like that that might be looking for a quarterback to come in and start immediately next season, I'm going hands-off on him. If I'm in a different kind of situation, maybe I can pick him up top of the second round or something like that, give him an opportunity to learn behind somebody else. Uh, Maybe a situation more along the lines of uh, Los Angeles Chargers, for instance, New Orleans Saints, teams like that that have veteran guys coming to the end of their careers. Maybe at that point in time, I take more of a chance on him. Right now, though, I'm not sure that... um, He's a first-round draft pick at all because I would be apt to agree with you. I think he's just injury-prone. It's not talent-related, but the um, the most important ability is availability. Now, given that, and I think a lot of people, including I, I, me, in fact, and I think maybe you did, thought Tua could be potentially be the number one overall pick in this upcoming NFL draft. So now, Ben, who is QB1? Who is that guy? Is it a... Justin Herbert, who I don't really necessarily have the most faith in. I don't know about you. Is it a Jake Fromm? Is it Easton? Who is it? I think it would be Burroughs. Uh, you know, I don't think it's even that close. After seeing what Joe has managed to do this season, I think he's standing head and shoulders above all the other quarterback prospects out there right now. That all has the chance to change, obviously, if Herbert manages to win out, manages to win a bowl game, or make some noise in that playoff picture. Um, but I, I really think right now, the guy today is Joe Burrow. Now, here would be my one concern about Joe Burrows. He's only had one year of elite play. He couldn't get on the field at Ohio State. He went to LSU, and he was a mediocre, he was an average college quarterback at LSU last year, and he takes it up to a whole other level, and part of that is because LSU's team is just better than they were last year. Can, can you take him number one overall? Can the Cincinnati Bengals bet the farm on him when he's only had about 10 to 12 games of elite play when he's been in college for four years? If you're the Cincinnati Bengals, you're desperate. You do whatever you got to do. I don't see a better alternative out there right now because none of the other quarterbacks coming out, in my opinion, really present is all that elite. And I think Cincinnati needs a quarterback. I'm not 100% sold on Justin Herbert. 
Jake Fromm has obviously been very successful down in Georgia. However, it seems like whenever it's time for the big game, he's not able to quite get the job done. And, you know, also, he hasn't been real successful at throwing the ball deep this year, which would concern me. And then Jalen Hurts, I think, is um, a potential guy that's going to go as a top five quarterback this year. Um, But... His play, too, has been a little bit inconsistent, I think. I think that Oklahoma in general has um, has underperformed a little bit, but I guess we'll save that for later in the discussion tonight. Now, we were talking about this, too, uh, last show. Alabama, they no longer have two attack of a low. The defense is not what it was. We talked about it. Also, Georgia. Georgia beat Auburn. Likely the SC Championship game in Atlanta will be Georgia versus LSU. Chances are, I mean, if Georgia wins, they're both going. What is the, but Alabama is still five, though, and still out of Oregon. What is the panic level right now in Tuscaloosa? Like, what is Nick Saban thinking right now? Should Nick Saban, how concerned should Nick Saban be? Well, in some ways, as crazy as this is going to sound, I think for Nick, there's a sense of relief, probably. Because I think that when Tua was there, Tua kind of pushed Nick a little bit outside his comfort zone as a coach. Nick Saban is not an offensive-minded football coach that wants to throw the ball downfield. I think he was willing to adjust because he saw how talented his quarterback was, and he was open to making that work. But Nick Saban is a play defense and run the ball kind of football coach, and it, I totally think for the rest of this year, that's what you can expect to be, you know? I think that Alabama will have a quarterback, the game manager, and they'll, they'll run the ball a whole bunch of times every game. They'll, they'll pound it down other teams' throats, and they'll play defense. And Nick Saban has proven over time that that is a strategy that can win you championships. I mean... The guy won championships with guys like Jake Coker and A.J. McCarron. Not exactly elite talent at quarterback. I think Nick is relieved, but the only thing that he has to really be afraid of, I think, is how the injury is going to impact them long-term in the college football playoff standing. Because I think that the committee moving forward is going to be less high on Alabama, even though they might be an equally good team that just has a different scheme than earlier in the year. Well, Ben, here's what I would ask. The committee didn't drop Bama. They did not drop Bama, and they knew that two was gone, and two is not coming back. So if Alabama continues to win, if they beat Auburn, and... The scenario we talked about, uh, LSU beats Georgia, then why not Alabama? Then why not? If there's still five, why not? It's a possibility, Daryl, for sure. I'm not discounting it at all. However, I think it's going to be tough because there are other teams that have a greater opportunity than Alabama to prove themselves worthy of getting in. Specifically, you're going to have a Big 12 team. It could very well be Baylor or Oklahoma that's going to have a case come the end of the season, and they're actually going to have won their conference, unlike Alabama. And you're also going to have likely the Pac-12 champion with Ben Ross uh, that's also going to have that conference championship on their resume that Alabama isn't going to have. Now, we saw Alabama get in in a similar situation a few years back, so I I don't count them out completely, but when I look at the road for teams that I just mentioned, they're going to get a chance to see them perform against higher-level talent in those conference championships, and I think that the fact that Alabama's schedule is so weak this year is going to end up hurting them unless they absolutely blow out Auburn in the Iron Bowl. What are the chances right now that they're... Would you, if you're a betting man, Ben, 
Will there be two SEC teams in the championship game? Whether it's LSU, Georgia, or Alabama. Will two of those three be in it? If I was a betting man right now, I, I would only give it about a 30% chance of happening. I, I believe that the SEC is obviously the strongest conference in college football from top to bottom. And I don't think that's debatable. But I think, you know, on some level, politics and conference championships are going to play into those decisions. Do you think so? Do you think the Pac-12 will get in? Because right now, Oregon sixth. You've been high on Utah, Ben. They keep texting me about Utah. <laughs> do you think the Pac-12 can upend an SEC team? Because right now, the, the committee is not valuing the Pac-12. I think that it's a it's a real possibility. But when, when I look at the schedule that remains for Utah, it's a pretty easy ride until that Pac-12 championship game. Oregon's going to be a tough team. They're obviously going to see Oregon in that championship game, more than likely. And at that point, you know, should Utah win that game against the, against number six in the country, I I think they should be strongly considered. Because that would probably be the most impressive conference championship win out of, you know, Alabama, who's not even going to be in the game. Uh, Oklahoma, Baylor, Utah, Oregon. Now, so I don't think the Pac-12 gets squeezed out this year, man. I think they're probably getting in. You think they're getting in? I do. I think Utah's getting into the playoffs. I mean, as crazy as it sounds, I believe that's going to happen. Can Utah beat? Can Utah beat LSU or Ohio State on a neutral site? Uh no. <laughs> <laughs> So, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop the dreaming of them getting into the playoffs. But, uh, but when I look around, you know, I'm not sure how Alabama's gonna respond without Tua. Um, I, the Iron Bowl is gonna be tough for them. I'm not even sure they can beat Auburn. Do you wait? And, you know, Oklahoma has not looked good. When you need a historical comeback to beat Baylor. Your program's probably not in great shape. That, that, that is true. And Ben, you're, you've been in Texas, and you know about the Baylor, the Baylor Bears, or what they, or what they have not been. Now, Ben, though, here's what I would say to you, Ben: uh, Could they beat? Could Utah beat Clemson on a neutral site? It's possible, but unlikely. I think in order for them to do that, they would have to rely heavily on the running game and just keep the ball out of Trevor Lawrence's hands. So you don't think, so what's the point of putting them in the playoffs if they're just going to be pigs to the slaughter, Ben? Do you think Bama? Do you think Bama could beat LSU on a neutral site? I think they could. Well, Daryl, um, I'm going to say no at this point in time. You know, I don't think that's a good counter-argument. I mean, LSU really exposed Alabama. Forget about a neutral site. They walked up in there into Tuscaloosa and just beat them down. I know the score wouldn't indicate that it was such, such a lopsided game, but I, mean, I was watching the thing for myself, and it, it really felt like Alabama was down about three scores as opposed to one at the end of the game. This wasn't like it was in 2011 where they lost in overtime by a field goal or something like that. I mean, they were getting beat pretty bad, and that was when they had to. But Tua also turned it over a lot in that game. They're going to play more conservative with, with Nick. I just don't think Alabama at this point has the offensive firepower to keep up with LSU. Ben, Ben, I, I need Alabama in the couch. Alabama will bring ratings, Ben. How about that argument? Alabama will bring ratings. Oh, well, having Oklahoma there would bring ratings too. That is true. And, and by the way, Ben, how bad? How, how much do you think Nick Saban's kind of being like, "Damn, wish I had Jalen Hurts right now." 
that Nick Saban I'll ask you this given the two injury and also given the fact that I, I always mention this Ben I know you love Tua's play on the field but Tua turns the ball over in my opinion Tua, Tua can kind of get loosey goosey with it and Jalen Hurts he's more conservative more of a running quarterback and he's more of Nick Saban's cup of tea do you think that Nick Saban made the right decision picking Tua over Hurts yes because I don't think they would have beat Georgia if he hadn't made the change at halftime and I, I, with the way Clemson came out and played last year, I don't think it mattered who the quarterback was on the other side of the field because the front four on defense for Clemson was just straight nasty. That and Trevor Lawrence played out of his mind. No, but here's what I mean. To, to take the Georgia National Championship game out, right, because, you know, that happened. I'm saying going into that season, last season, if Hurts has the job, they lose to Clemson either way, but then you go this year, and right now, Jalen Hurts is a bigger, stronger guy than Tua. He's pro- he's more durable. He doesn't get hurt. And you know what? We're talking about Alabama has a great shot of being in the playoffs. Well, I, I still don't. I, I still would stand behind the Saban's decision, though, because what I'm seeing from Jalen Hurts in Oklahoma. It's a little bit disheartening, and I think, you know, Oklahoma fans would agree with me on this. They got essentially embarrassed by Kansas State a few weeks ago. They beat Iowa State by one point, and then they needed a historic comeback last weekend to win in Waco against Baylor. I know Baylor is a solid team this year. But let's face it, man. Baylor has no business anywhere near a national, um, you know, college football playoff. And the fact that Oklahoma almost lost to them is something that I definitely see as really concerning, especially when you consider the fact that Baylor had the football, Baylor was making their way down the field, and had it not been for a bad throw on Brewer's part, Baylor might have won the game. So should we hold our horses on the Lincoln Riley to the NFL talk? What was that? Should we hold our horses on the Lincoln Riley to the NFL talk? Because everybody's talking about Lincoln Riley, Lincoln Riley, the hottest new offensive mind. Go to the NFL. Should we hold our horses on that? I think we should hold our horses on it. I think Lincoln Riley is a really good football coach. But I think that he should stay in college football until he wins at least one national championship, which I think he's going to do, you know, probably in the next five or six years. Because I, I think he's that good. But right now, with what I'm seeing, when when this team comes in and they're not prepared to play, which it looks like they really haven't been for the last few weeks, the coach has to take some of the ownership on that. And Ben, here's what I'm going to tell you. Right? Nick Saban, he's without his star quarterback. He's probably not going to make the college football playoffs. He's getting older. And there's a great opportunity for Nick Saban. Now, let me run this by you. Let's say if um, people from the Cleveland Browns brass, right? I thought about this. They fly over to Alabama. They go to Tuscaloosa. They go to Nick Saban's office. And the owner of the Cleveland Browns, Gives Nick Saban a blank check and says, Nick, what do you want to do to bring the Cleveland Browns to prominence? A team you were coaching. A team you were coaching. Get to come back to your old stopping grounds in Cleveland. Nick, you get your quarterback, you have Baker. You get your two wide receivers, Odell and Jarvis Landry. You get your pass rusher and Miles Garrett. What's not to love? If should Nick Saban take that deal if it happens? There's 
no way Nick Saban should take that deal. I think that's the craziest question I've heard. Uh, at any time, I've, I've been on your podcast. Oh, Ben, come, Ben. I thought about this. Come on, Ben. I just, If Nick Saban retired today, who takes the job at Alabama? Hmm? If Nick Saban retired today, or if he took the job, if Nick Saban's listening to me, who takes the job in Tuscaloosa? Oh. And then you know a name I'm gonna throw out there? Who do you have? Dabo Sweeney. Oh, there's no reason for Dabo. Why do you think Dabo would want to go to Alabama? He already beats those guys in the national championship on a regular basis. He was at Alabama. He's an alum of Alabama, if I'm not mistaken. You you know what? <laughs> if you if you had the best coach in the last twelve years, why not have the best coach again for another twenty years? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know, man. I mean, Jimbo Fisher is coming up. That is true. That is true. But apparently, Ben is advising Nick not to come to Cleveland, even though he had. he'd have one of the most yeah. talented rosters in the NFL. He's got to stay away from Cleveland. Oh, oh, wait, wait, Ben, by, by the way, what, what, what did you think of the fight between Miles Garrett and Mason Rudolph? I know you have an opinion on that, Ben. Well, obviously, you can't do the things that Miles Garrett did on the football field. But, in his defense, and I know I'm not the only person that thinks this, when you actually review the video and watch it very closely, Mason Rudolph instigated the entire thing. He's trying to pull Miles Garrett's helmet off. He's wrestling around with him on the ground. And I think Garrett's reaction is just a heat of the moment kind of thing. Obviously, he's going to be suspended multiple games. In fact, we don't even know how long he's going to be suspended for. I mean, he's in the process of appealing it right now. But... I was real shocked about that because my beat on Miles Garrett has always been that he's a pretty calm, cool, collected kind of guy. And I'm pretty familiar with him because he used to play in my alma mater, Texas A&M University, when I was there. And, you know, I've watched just tons and tons of Aggie games that he played in, and I never saw any any kind of behavioral like that for him in all the years that he was there. So I was really shocked, you know, to see that happen. Uh, just in general, because it's not something that you see very often, just a guy lose it like that. But also, I, I'm equally shocked by the fact that the NFL has done basically nothing to penalize Mason Rudolph. And I think he's at fault as well. You know, so I don't know why they haven't made any move uh, to to hand down a suspension to Mason Rudolph, but I think they should consider it. 
Ben, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Anytime, Daryl. I appreciate you having me on. And once again, I want to thank Ben Karen, host of the Sports Club Podcast, for coming on the show. Also, want to thank Jason Kavari once again for coming on the podcast. And this is it for the 110th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk on WJCU.